This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. Find as many cancers as we can. And let's treat the aggressive and life-threatening ones and and leave the uh, small, slow-growing cancers alone and monitor them. That's prostate cancer expert Dr. Neil Fleshner reacting to a controversial recommendation out of the U.S. that men should stop getting routine PSA tests. He'll give us the Canadian perspective on screening for prostate cancer. The soil is just like a desert. And we we missed all of that uh, March and April rain that we usually get after a winter of no snow. Plus, you've probably already been out in your garden getting some work done in the sunny weather we've been having. But what about the damage from our dry, chilly spring? I'll get the scoop from gardening guru Marjorie Harris. And it was on this weekend in 1969 that John Lennon and Yoko Ono started their famous Montreal bed-in. We'll take a trip back to the 60s and hear the famous song they recorded in that hotel room. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Do you think about your legacy? Is leaving a large sum of money to your loved ones a priority over leaving behind an abundance of stories and memories? A new study by the Alliance Life Insurance Company of North America has found that baby boomers value their experiences and stories more than their material possessions and wealth. 84% of boomers polled said that family stories are very important to their legacy. This ranked higher than the 64% who felt that family possessions were important to keep their legacy alive, and far above the 9% who made inheritance their priority. There was also overwhelming agreement that boomers think inheritance is not something a parent owes to a child. Are you taking calcium supplements? For a long time, they've been recommended for stronger bones. But a new study finds that they might actually give you an increased risk of a heart attack. Researchers at the German Cancer Research Center followed almost 24,000 people for more than a decade. They found that people who took calcium supplements were 30% more likely to have a heart attack, and they've now advised that calcium supplements should be taken with caution. Many experts have reacted to the story by suggesting that having a balanced diet, including natural sources of calcium, would be a better strategy than taking the -the over-the-counter pills. Eugene Pauly may not have been a household name, but his famous invention, the television remote, is now in every home. He passed away this week at the age of 96. He worked most of his life as an engineer at Zenith. In 1955, he developed the Flashmatic, a device that pointed a beam of light at photocells on each corner of the TV, turning it on and off and changing the channels. It was quickly followed by other models that would eventually turn into the remote controls we all use on a daily basis. 
1997, Eugene Pauly was honored with an Emmy for his contribution to television history. And finally, do you have some free time over the summer months? Well, if you're interested in giving back to your community and have a reliable automobile, the Canadian Cancer Society could use your help. They're looking for volunteer drivers to help cancer patients get to their treatment centres. Many seniors live alone and don't have anyone to help them leave their neighbourhoods. You can get more information by calling 416-480-7901, extension 4015. That's 416-480-7901, extension 4015. I'm Libby Zneimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. The latest advice on screening for prostate cancer is unleashing a heated debate and leaving many men confused. In its final recommendation this week, a blue-chip U.S. government panel said that healthy men of all ages should no longer get screened for prostate cancer with the PSA test because a resulting diagnosis may do more harm than good. What does this mean for Canadian men? I talked to Dr. Neil Fleshner, head of urology at the University Health Network. Well, I'm uh, quite concerned about this uh, particular recommendation. The U.S. Preventative Task Force have basically told us that uh, regular PSA testing for men is more likely to do harm than good and, and therefore should likely be abandoned. It's important to realize that this is uh, taken in the context of the United States uh, practice um, <clears throat> milieu, which is very different uh, than we have in Canada. I think it would be a big uh, mistake, in my view, to adopt these practices in Canada and move us back essentially 20 years when, when many men used to present with incurable metastatic prostate cancer. So we, what is the difference? Are, are more men treated in the States than in Canada? Yes, I think the biggest difference is, uh, unfortunately, the Americans have been extremely aggressive in basically offering radical treatment, either surgery or radiation, to virtually every man diagnosed. A very small proportion of patients uh, in the United States are offered what we call active surveillance or monitoring of their cancers, whereas in Canada, this is a very common approach and, in my view, offers the best of both worlds. So find as many cancers as we can and let's treat the aggressive and life-threatening ones and, and leave uh, the uh, small, slow-growing cancers alone and monitor them. And this way, uh, we don't have to harm the patients who don't need treatment, but, but, but conversely, we can help the men with more aggressive and larger tumors uh, and have them the benefits of early detection. Isn't part of the problem that the PSA test can't distinguish between a cancer that is slow-growing and will never bother you and an aggressive cancer? Yes, I mean that's that is the crux of the of the problem, and that's why a biopsy is necessary um, as a as a sort of a distal step after you've had the PSA test. There is very good evidence from a European study that uh, having a PSA lowers your chance of dying uh, from prostate cancer by at least twenty percent. The bad side of PSA is yes, it picks up bad cancers early, but it also unnecessarily harvests a lot of, for the lack of a better term, good cancers that you'd rather not know about. And there's also a quality of life. I think some people underestimate the quality of life benefit in having a low PSA. Back to what the panel said, they cited an 11-year study of 180,000 men that found that more than 1,000 had to be screened in order to prevent a single death from prostate cancer. Right. Those numbers don't scare me at all. Remember that prostate cancer death is not that common. I mean, about 3% of men, even though that's a large number of cancer deaths, 
about 3 to 4% of men in our population are destined to die from prostate cancer. So it would be impossible to have a test that would, you know, any test for screening would have to screen a large number in order to find, uh, prevent uh, a death. Those numbers, if you look at colon cancer with respect to colonoscopy or if you look at mammography in the context of breast cancer, those numbers actually fare extremely well, if not better. Now, the, the panel also found in another study that for every 1,000 men who get a PSA test, 30 to 40 will develop erectile dysfunction or urinary incontinence. Two men will experience a major cardiovascular event, such as a heart attack caused by treatment, and one will develop a potentially deadly blood clot in his leg or lungs. Yeah. Uh, again, in my view, those numbers are, are overinflated. Um, but listen, I think it does... Uh, underscore the harm that can occur uh, by unnecessary treatment in, in many uh, patients. So what are you recommending? The, I think the guidelines generally are that once you're over 50, you should get the PSA test, uh, what, every couple of years? Right. My personal uh, view is that we need to be very aggressive in PSA testing in younger men, because those are the men we don't want to miss cancers. Uh, I recommend, again, in my practice, that men start in their 40s, um, even though uh, that's classically only recommended for higher-risk men, men of African descent or men with family history. Can you also just give us a little primer about the, the values that you get from the right. PSA so test? Right. So, again, there's a lot of debate about this. The classic abnormal number is a number uh, over four, and this is not known by many primary care doctors. That four is an overall number, but is, is, is a really not a great number for someone in their 40s. So if you're in your 40s, probably anything over one, frankly, 1.2 is abnormal. In your 50s, certainly anything over 2 would be abnormal. And uh, in your 60s, probably 3. But ha having said that, if you're in your 70s and your number is 4.5, you probably shouldn't worry at all. So, so an age-based approach, in my view, uh, knowing this literature, makes the best sense to me, both in terms of trying to minimize finding um, sort of cancers we don't want to know in older people, but maximizing the ability to find bad ones in younger people which is the real tragedy of this disease when you see it. Are you advising Canadians to ignore this recommendation? I am, and, I, and particularly, you know, obviously physicians in Canada, because they usually drive this discussion. I really think the best of all worlds is to find more but treat less, and this way we can, we can balance the, the benefit and, uh, and harm uh, piece quite well. Okay. Dr. Neil Fleshner, thanks so much for joining You're us. You're welcome. We'll keep you up to date with any new information about prostate cancer screening. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Have you been putting the same amount of water into your garden that you do every year? Well, according to gardening expert Marjorie Harris, we should be doing a lot more than the usual after the dry, warm winter we just had. She'll explain why in just a moment. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. The gorgeous summer-like weather has arrived and it's the perfect time to get out in the garden. Unfortunately, many of us thought the same thing in March. And the early spring weather, followed by a terrible April and part of May, has caused a bit of havoc with the gardening cycle. What can we do about it? I asked gardening guru and Zoomer magazine contributor Marjorie Harris. What advice do you have for those of us who are taken in? Oh, 
don't get discouraged. I mean, it really is heartbreaking to see what happened to a lot of the viburnums. They got really, really hit with the frost. And um, some of the Japanese maples did too. But things will come back if they're watered properly. Now, what's happening now is that we're, the, the soil is just like a desert. And we, we missed all of that uh, March and April rain that we usually get after a winter of no snow. So a lot of people forgot to water things because the weather was lovely, and then they forgot to water things because the weather was crappy. So you're going to have to do a lot of it now. And I'm really, really worried about our city trees. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy, they're under such stress. So here's what I suggest people do is get, get a, um, a bucket that'll hold at least a gallon or two of water and put a minimum of three buckets of water around major plants. Uh, things like big shrubs, trees, anything that you've planted, newly planted, uh, in either of those categories. Three buckets, be watered how deeply. often? Do it at minimum of twice a week. It will percolate its way through this, you know, very, very dry soil, down past the roots. This is where you want to get it. Um, you know, you can set a sprinkler on and leave it, but you've got to leave it on for at least an hour for it to do anything. Now, you mentioned that you're afraid for the city trees. Why? Oh, yeah. Do the same for the city trees. Don't think that the city has got a cent of money that they're going to spend on the trees that, was, that have already been planted. I really, really wish it was part of our culture that everybody would take care of public trees. Everybody. Now, apparently there's a problem because Toronto, as you know, was on the vanguard of banning pesticides, and now... There's a problem resulting from that, isn't there? Well, the pesticides aren't... There are a lot of insects and stuff around that we haven't seen before because they they didn't get killed off with really, really cold winter. But the thing is that if if we water the plants properly, if we put compost around them, they're going to be able to fend things off. One thing you probably noticed is that there are going to be more maple keys around this city than we've ever had before. Gather them up as quickly as they fall, if you can, and and, um, stick them in the compost. Now, I was just reading something about an emerald ash borer. Oh, yeah. No, this is a very, very serious thing that's that's heading. It's killing off all the ashes. It started in the eastern part of the province, and it is moving into Toronto. And uh, check your ash trees to see if you've got any little funny, suspicious-looking little holes. And if you do, either phone the city and say, I think I have ash borer, and they might send somebody out, or phone an arborist, a certified arborist, to come and have a look. If you are attacked by ash borer, you may have to remove the tree. And the other thing was, you are against using fertilizers with peat in them, correct? Yes, I am. I I think it's totally unnecessary. The areas where they dig out the peat are very, very fragile environments, and it takes forever for for them to renew themselves. I mean, they keep saying, oh, well, it's a renewable resource. Yeah, if you've got thousands of years. And we can buy products called Quar products, C-O-I-R, and these are made with um, uh, coconut shells, and they hold water like mad. It's absolutely great. What, what they can do, and you just mix that in. Uh, so what is the timeline for getting this watering done? To- I'd, I'd, I'd say today. <laughs> I'd say today and every every three or four days from now on. So the- for, for the entire summer, maybe? Oh, I think so. They're predicting that it's going to be a dry, hot summer, so be very, very careful how you water. 
Okay. Marjorie Harris, thank you so much for that. Oh, you're welcome. Nice to talk to you. Nice to talk to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You can read more of Marjorie's garden recommendations in the May issue of Zoomer magazine. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. It was on this weekend in 1969 that John Lennon and Yoko Ono started their famous Montreal bed-in. Coming up, we'll take a trip back to the 60s and hear the famous song they recorded in that hotel room. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. As head of Toronto's most prestigious business school, he's the ultimate Bay Street insider. But Roger Martin believes the corporate world must be overhauled, starting with excessive pay packages for CEOs. He'll be presenting his ideas at the upcoming Idea City Conference, and I chatted with him about why he thinks the focus on boosting share prices is at the root of the rot. The central goal of shareholder value maximization is, is bad for customers, employees, and in fact, in the end, bad for uh, shareholders. Uh, and what it does is cause executives to try and do something that is undoable, which is essentially to keep expectations about their company rising forever. What about the huge increases in executive pay, especially for CEOs? Well, that was a, fu- that was a function of this theory that said uh, the way to align the interest of shareholders and management is to give management lots of stock-based compensation. And that was just a crummy idea. <laughs> Since you know expectations, i.e. the stock price won't keep rising forever, when it gets high enough, you get out, then it falls, uh, but you've cashed out your options and your uh, deferred share units at a very high, high value. It then falls. The new CEO brings it back up. They make a lot of money. But meanwhile, the shareholders have watched it, watched it fall and go back to the same level while somebody makes uh, lots of money as a, as a manager. So, and that's why we've got the roller coaster that we, that we have. I think the whole Occupy Wall Street, the 99%, just characterizing it, we're the 99%, you're the, you're the 1%, is indicative of, of unrest that I find hard to imagine not getting worse. Roger Martin will speak at Idea City, which takes place June 13th through 15th at Kerner Hall in Toronto. For more information, go to ideacityonline.com. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me for another edition of the Zoomer Weekend Review. We're going to take you out with a bit of music by John Lennon and Yoko Ono. It was on May 26, 1969, that they began their famous bed-in for peace in Montreal. It was a seven-day stay, a non-violent protest against the Vietnam War to promote peace. During their stay, they wrote and recorded this famous song, Give Peace a Chance. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. 
Heard every Sunday at noon on AM740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.